You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore dadam. Well, quite a few things I want to talk about, but I've been pushing off PFF grades the last couple of um, episodes. So before I get too deep into anything else, why don't we do a recap of some of the stats and grades from Monday night's game. Let us start off with the offense. Um, Kind of a a dichotomy here between being super excited and pretty disappointed. The problem is out of 18 players, only four of them graded out as good or better. That is to say 14 out of 18 didn't do very well. Um, Six out of 18, so one third were below average. Uh, you had one of them who was below a 50. So why don't we start with the bad news first? Um, the, uh, we'll, we'll leave the averages alone, but the below average, Mercedes Lewis with a 59.6, Tyler Davis, 58, Robert Tunyon, 53, Yash Nyman, 52, Josiah DeGuara, 51, and then the lowest was Alan Lazard with a 49.5. The good news is that we did have some good performers. John Runyon had a 74 overall grade, which is great to see, primarily because his highest grade was a 71.3, and it was run blocking. That's a big area of concern for him. Uh, the pass blocking was a little below average, but it was roughly 70, so, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. He's, he's growing, and that's awesome. Some more good news. One of the guys that got off to a really, really slow start that has been pretty unstoppable the last couple weeks is Mr. Elton Jenkins. In fact, from a pass-blocking standpoint, four weeks in a row, he has been completely unstoppable. From a run-blocking standpoint, it's been the last three weeks in a row. The last three weeks, his pass block... Oh, let's just do all four. Pass-blocking the last four weeks, 89, 74, 87, 81. The last three weeks, run-blocking, 71, 77, 74. So believe me when I tell you that I am... Maybe concerned is the wrong word, but I'll say it anyways. I'm concerned that we have no choice but to move him back to tackle sooner than later. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. He was in a funk. He came out of his injury. He was struggling to kind of get up to speed. Now he's up to speed. Now he may not move back to tackle this year, but again, this guy 
has a long line around the corner. Bears fans, every single time you go find any Bears fan talking about the offseason, you know what their number one addition is going to be? Elton Jenkins. Everybody has a big old circle around Elton Jenkins. And if we're not going to pay him big boy tackle money, somebody else will happily do it. And he knows that. Since week 11, Elton Jenkins has the second highest pass blocking grade behind only Chris Lindstrom in Atlanta. That's it. I'm talking, I'm not talking guards. I'm talking centers, guards, and tackles. If you go from week 12 on, he has the 14th highest run blocking grade. Again, of any offensive lineman. If we just call it guards, he is the second highest run blocking guard. You know what else is actually really interesting while I'm sitting here? Since week 12, John Runyon is the ninth highest run blocking guard, which is pretty wild. As far as pass blocking, he's also relatively high, 19th. Uh, Elton Jenkins is fourth. So fourth highest pass blocking, second highest run blocking. Um, John Runyon is the 19th highest pass blocking and uh, ninth highest run blocking guard. So quite a good duo we've got going on here. Josh Myers, not a little bit better pass blocking than run blocking, but whatever. We don't need to get into everybody's. Continuing on with the good news from yesterday, the second highest graded player was Mr. A.J. Dillon. Probably not a big surprise to anybody, but it should be noted that A.J. Dillon has had two elite games in the last three weeks. His grades in the last three weeks, 90, 74, and 88. So if it feels like things are starting to change for the better, it's probably because they are. You might remember early in the season when Elton Jenkins was one of the worst offensive linemen in football. He's now one of the best. Do you remember when A.J. Dillon suddenly wasn't the guy and everybody was wrong about A.J. Dillon and he's a bust and all that stuff? People just couldn't wait to get that off their, out of their mouths. They were so quick to turn on him. A.J. Dillon, the last, since week 12, the last four weeks, is the second highest graded running back in football. Anyways, we'll dive more into kind of overall stuff in a minute, but drum roll, please. Highest graded offensive player this past week was Romeo Dobbs. Um, 23 snaps, not a really small sample size. Um, 11 of them were on passing plays. 12 of them were on running plays. I tell you what, it is uh, really exciting too for Romeo Dobbs because I I voiced my concern on the show. Not, Not just the fact that they may want to ease him back in and take things slow, partially because of the injury and partially because, you know, it's just he hasn't played in a long time, and we just don't know if he's ready. But also, again, remember, he got off to a good start. The first three weeks, he was decent. 68, 65, 75 were his grades, which is fine for a rookie. But then 52, 62, 45, and 43. Then he kind of had a bounce back and, uh, against Buffalo. Cool, 72. Then he got hurt week nine. He comes back, and he has the best game he's had all year. Now, he did have an 88 overall grade in Denver, but it was one one play, so you just kind of... I don't want to discard it, but, you know, we could just kind of mix it in with the 23 from this week. We'll call it 24 and like a 90 or something. But the thing that I really love about it is when you, and and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here, but when you pair that with the things that I've been saying in regard to Christian Watson, remember the stats from Jacob Morley. I think it was, what, 7 of 7 for 90-some-odd yards and a touchdown when the two of them were on the same field together? Remember the whole thing about how the offense opens up more when Christian Watson's on the field, allowing guys who work the middle of the field, i.e. Romeo Dobbs, to operate with more space? 
And when you add in his route running and his good hands and all that, it's going to help guys like Romeo Dobbs, considering Romeo and Watson have not played together uh, in any real capacity since week one when Christian was getting his first start and dropped a pass and kind of that whole thing spiraled out of control. And Romeo was just in his first game of the season. I'm not saying Romeo's going to stay at an 89 every single week. But I do like the fact that there are two competing things here. Number one, there's every reason to believe that Romeo will benefit from Christian being on the field. But number two, which version of Romeo was real? The first uh, half of his start or the second half? First half where he looked really good, second half where he kind of slid into obscurity. And remember, in the second half, there were other factors in that as well. You had Randall, uh, Aaron Rodgers hurting his thumb. You had the offensive line was nowhere near as good. And, and again, with no Christian Watson and no real deep threat, I think Sammy was injured at different various times. We had basically no speed on the field. Romeo was the fastest guy we had, and we didn't want to use him as a deep threat necessarily. At least we didn't try all that often. So it just it, everything was clunky. Everything was out of place. Nothing really made sense. Nothing really worked. Now the offense is working at a higher clip. The offensive line is much better. The run game is much better. And Christian is in full swing. So which of these things is going to bleed through? Romeo hasn't played in a while. Romeo, last time we saw him, wasn't that great. Well, Buffalo was fine, but, you know, whatever. Or the bad patch was a fluke. Things are better now, and they're going to be even better than it was to start the season now that we have Christian. And in the limited time that we saw, Romeo has pretty much by far the best game of his entire career up to this point. And again, I would say 23 snaps is enough to say that that's not necessarily a small sample size. I take that to be great news. Do I expect this next week? Not necessarily. On the other hand, I expect to see more of Romeo Dobbs. So maybe not quite as high of a per snap production, because that's kind of ridiculous to expect 50% of the routes you run, you catch passes. In other words, you run 10 routes, you catch five for five for 55 yards or whatever he had. So if he runs 30, I don't exactly expect 15 receptions for, uh, you know, 165 yards or whatever. But I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I'm pumped about it. Uh, specifics. Aaron Rodgers in this game was 22 of 30, which is 73.3% completion rate, which is extremely high. His adjusted uh, completion percentage was 85.2. 229 yards, 7.6 yards per attempt, a touchdown and a pick. Zero big-time throws and two turnover-worthy plays, though, is um, probably one of the worst I've seen from Rodgers in terms of just the big-time throw turnover-worthy play thing. That's not super great. In fact, this is the first game all year he didn't have a single big-time throw. Um, It is only the one, two, three. It's the fourth time he's had two turnover-worthy plays in a game. He's never had more than two. So, uh, you know, there's that. Time to throw was 2.94 seconds, which is a pretty long time. Uh, That was his third longest that he held onto the ball. His longest was last week against Chicago, which was pretty noticeable. Again, this is I even said the last two games we've seen, he's got a lot of time in the pocket, and he's using that time to just kind of hold it for a long time. Now, I haven't gone back and watched uh, this game yet to see if, you know, maybe the receivers just weren't getting open. That's the way that the Rams play with their zone and soft and all that stuff, so they're just trying to take... I, I, I don't know. But against Chicago, guys were open, so we shall see. As far as clean versus pressure, uh, while clean, Aaron Rodgers had a 73.7 grade. He was clean 73% of his dropbacks. Um, He was 19 of 24 for 192 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Under pressure, only 27% of the time, 
He was 3 of 6 for 37 yards. Looking at the receivers, highest graded receiver was A.J. Dillon. He had an 89.4 receiving grade. Romeo Dobbs, 86.6. Mercedes Lewis with a 72.4. Randall, 62. Aaron Jones, 62. Watson, 62. Tunyon, 59. Lazard, 49. Um, Let's see. Yards after the catch per reception. Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon were the highest. Aaron Jones with 12.8 yards after the catch per reception. A.J. Dillon, 11.3. That is pretty wild. But I, I think the bottom line is, from PFF's perspective, there's Romeo Dobbs, and then there's everybody else. I mean, that's that's sort of the bottom line. Uh, yards per route run, Romeo was 5.5 yards per route run, which is absurd. Remember, you know, two yards per route run is is real good. I mean, just in practical terms, let's say you're out there for first down, second down, and third down. You're running three routes on three passing plays. You're averaging 15 yards. <laughs> Obviously, you wouldn't get to that because, on average, you would get a first down after the first two plays. Now, yes, smaller sample size has something to do with that, but still. Then we come to the running backs. Obviously, A.J. Dillon uh, had another great day. Um, Only 3.3 yards per carry, but he added two touchdowns, uh, 2.09 yards after contact, three missed tackles, um, and four first downs. They gave him an 82.2 rushing grade. The next highest running grade was actually Patrick Taylor. His four attempts went for 15 yards, which is 3.8 yards per attempt, 2.5 yards after contact. Um, Six yards was his longest. He added one first down to that. Aaron Jones actually ran for 5.3 yards per attempt. However, he did have a fumble, uh, which is obviously going to hurt him. He did have three carries over 10 yards, though, 3.53 yards after contact per attempt and, it, and uh, also had four first downs. He had 17 attempts. Dylan had 11. Uh, Patrick Taylor had four. So I think, honestly, Aaron Jones kind of fell under the radar a little bit. I'm double and triple checking this because I swear that doesn't seem right. <laughs> I guess it was the two touchdowns for A.J. Dillon that got us all jacked up because I don't recall Aaron Jones getting 90 yards and Dylan getting 36. <laughs> but whatever. And then we come to the offensive line going from left to right. Uh, Zach Tom did have an 82 pass blocking grade, so he had another really good day, gave up only one hurry. However, they weren't massively impressed with his run blocking abilities. He had the lowest on the team with a 47.9. It's been a little bit of a struggle for him pretty much all year. Um, He got one game in which they gave him a solid run blocking grade, which would have been week eight when he was playing left guard against Buffalo. Uh, He had one game in the 60s. Otherwise, it's been 53, 47, 47, and 44. So run blocking is not necessarily his strength. However, since week seven, he did have one game at uh, that that Buffalo game. He had a 57 pass blocking grade. But other than that, 82, 83, 77, and 82. He has overall a 54 run blocking grade and a 79.2 pass blocking grade. He's only given up five hurries. One hit, one sack, six total pressures uh, this season. The left guard, I already mentioned Elton Jenkins, really good day, run blocking and pass blocking. Um, Josh Myers, I think I already talked about, but 58 run blocking, 63 pass blocking. He, uh, let's see, as far as pressures, Elton didn't give up any. Josh Myers gave up one hurry. At right guard, John Runyon, he gave up uh, one pressure, which was a hurry, 68 pass blocking, 71 run blocking. And then right tackle, Yash Nyman, 
gave up four pressures. He, he clearly has proven to be the biggest weak link, I think, on the offensive line. I like Yash, and I like what he's done, but it does seem like every week I'm looking at, first of all, he did have his one penalty, which is every single game. Um, but then also when you look at the pressures, he seems to be leading the team pretty consistently. He did have zero against Chicago, which was great, but he had four this week, four against Philadelphia, and six against Tennessee. He has had a, one penalty in one, two, three, four, five games in a row. And then he went two games without a penalty, but had three against Washington. So he's averaging a uh, penalty a game since week seven. He has given up a total of 25 pressures so far this year. Now, granted, a lot of these guys haven't played as much, um, but Runyon and Myers have also played as much as he has. But the most pressures outside of that would be Royce, which obviously Royce has only played half as much, so he was significantly worse. But 17 pressures. Elton Jenkins has played two less games, but only 16 pressures, which is nine less. John Runyon um, has played the same number of games, has given up 12. Josh Myers, 11, and all down from there. Flipping over to the defensive side. Uh, again, kind of starting with the bad news. for Actually, pretty similar composition to what the offense did. There is some really good news at the top end, but it's mostly bad news. Only three out of 17 were graded out as good. You can call it four, I guess, 69.5. Um, but everybody else was average or worse. And you did have six of 17, again, about a third, that were below a 60. There were three out of 17 that were below a 50. And one, TJ Slayton, at a 35.5 overall grade. The guys in the 40s, Dean Lowry and Kingsley and Igbare, so that's uh, two defensive tackles with a bottom. Rudy Ford with a 52. Jair Alexander with a 53, which is really getting to be discouraging. Devondre Campbell with a 56. And then uh, a couple of average guys in between. The good news, and we'll just call 69 or higher good. Keyshawn Nixon with a 69.2. Kenny Clark with a 69.5. Um, that's When was the last time Kenny had a good game? That was his first, we'll call it good game, since uh, week six against the Jets, if we're calling 69s a good game. So I guess I'll take that as a positive. Um, after that, guys in the 70s, 75.8 for Preston Smith, then a 77.7 for Devontae Wyatt. And again, every time he has a good does a good job, we say, well, small sample size. Well, that's fair, but it's been two weeks in a row, which is now 18 snaps. I don't remember the exact grade, but let's just call it like an 85 overall over the course of about 18 snaps. He's having a pretty good run over the last couple weeks. He's still a rookie. I still expect him to have some bad games. There's going to be some 30s and 20s and 60s and 50s mixed in. But I think he's proven to be a uh, enough of a wrecking ball that he should probably be getting some opportunities would be my thought. But anyways, uh, on top of that, Quay Walker had his best um, game of the entire season, 87.0. I'm sure nobody's surprised by that. I think one of the biggest surprises, though, is that his highest grade wasn't run defense, and it wasn't even coverage. It was pass rush. And I've been saying for a while that's been kind of lacking. He did have a good game uh, week seven, but the pressure percentages have not actually been all that great. And they still didn't bring him all that that much. It was only four times, but he ended up getting a sack on one of those. But even in addition to that, 77 coverage grade and nearly, but not quite, a 70 run defense grade. So just kind of more or less all around good day from Quay Walker. And, and you know, these guys are rookies. And like I said yesterday, if you isolate any one of them, you're looking at that going, hey, that's pretty solid, man. He's, he's kind of taking steps here. 
By the way, one of the more underrated storylines right now is Keyshawn Nixon. And no, I'm not referring to um, his return ability. That's something everybody's well aware of. Keyshawn Nixon has been one of the best players on this entire team over the last three weeks as a slot corner. Weeks 12, 13, and 15, as a slot, he's graded out. And, and by the way, he didn't start until week 12. So this has been the only other time game that he started in was against New England. But the last three weeks, he has been a starter. His grades in those three weeks, 73, 83, and 70, 69-2. His coverage grades have been a 76, an 89, and a 69. I don't know where this is coming from. However, and I I feel like I may have mentioned this at some point, his uh, grades in Las Vegas went from a 30 to a 44 to a 77. His coverage grades went from a 29 to a 40 to a 75. Now, very limited opportunities over those three years, but also he's improved. So I don't know what is going on necessarily with Keyshawn Nixon, but this guy, it's funny because I'd even mentioned who's more explosive, him or, or Christian Watson. On a on a play to play basis, but um, I mean, try to imagine who's been more impactful than Keyshawn Nixon when you factor in both of these things. He's by far our best corner on the team over the last few weeks. It's not even close. He's our best DB. He's one of our best defensive players. Period. He might be our best defensive player over these last three weeks since he's been a starter. Four weeks plus the bye. Three weeks actually played. Absolutely crazy to me. Some other interesting notes here in terms of snap counts. Um, It is worth noting if you look at Darnell Savage, 62.0 overall grade. He played one snap this week and one snap against Philadelphia. He's played two snaps in the last two weeks. Savage has been brought down to zero, and it happened overnight. And it's not just Rudy Ford, because Rudy Ford and Savage have coexisted on this team um, for quite a while. Rudy Ford got his start week 10. We're talking about starting in week uh, 12. And, and you know, remember what happened with Sammy Watkins. I'm not saying Darnell Savage is necessarily going to get flat-out cut right now, but he has had one snap, weeks 15 and week 12. They have removed him from the team, more or less. Also, uh, just for reference, uh, there's been some frustration about Devontae Wyatt with his nine snaps from myself included. Just for reference, however... Um, outside of Jaron Reed and Kenny Clark, basically nobody's playing defensive tackle. Kenny, 32, Jaron Reed, 28. Then Dean Lowry has played 11 snaps, TJ Slayton, 10, Devontae Wyatt, 9. So you've got the two guys that actually play, Kenny Clark and Jaron Reed. Then you got Lowry, Slayton, and Wyatt that are just kind of rotating out as that number three. And again, Wyatt's competition in that group is Slayton, who had a 35 overall grade, and Lowry with a 47. So, you know, just saying. Anyways, that was the overall. As far as run defense goes, the guys that really struggled, sub-50, Rudy Ford, uh, 49, TJ Slayton, 42, Kingsley Enigbare, 41. I know a lot of people were upset with things about Kingsley or whatever. They didn't love his run defense ability. Um, Good grades, Reed, 69.9, Kenny Clark, 72, Devontae Wyatt, 70.2, Preston Smith, 74.3, Razul Douglas, 75. Uh, tackling pretty solid across the board. Three guys that really struggled, Rudy Ford, Adrian Amos, and Kingsley Inigbare. Yes, Amos had that really good tackle, which is awesome, but he had two tackles and a miss, which isn't the greatest ratio. Uh, pass rush, the only one with a great pass rush grade was Quay. Um, 
Everybody else was pretty average, 50s and 60s, which is usually the case with Pashos grades. It's hard to get a good grade, um, or I guess bad grade for that matter. Um, similarly, coverage, Quay Walker, 77. Nobody else is in the 70s. The only one that was close was Keyshawn Nixon, 68.8. The lowest was Devondre Campbell at a 53.4. Some of the statistics, pressures. Kenny Clark had four pressures on 19 attempts, which is obviously awesome, especially for Kenny, who has just really, really struggled across the board, but also in that department. Preston Smith, four pressures, 21 attempts, which is great. Kingsley and Igbare, had two on 19, which is right at 10%. And if you recall that one sack he did get, as I mentioned on the stream, that came after about seven seconds. So, <laughs> you know, I don't I don't want to take it away from him, but at the same time, it's just one of those things. Um, Quay, as I mentioned, had one pressure, which was a sack on his four attempts. Devontae Wyatt had one pressure, one sack on six attempts. Justin Hollins, one pressure, one sack on 16 attempts. So Hollins was actually somewhat subpar despite getting a sack apparently which I don't remember that either um missed tackle percentages uh the only ones that Rudy Ford Kingsley and Igbari 50% of their tackles were misses um the only other guys with misses Amos Walker at 20% and Devondre at 20% stops Quay Walker had four stops Rizul three everybody else was below that targets Keyshawn Nixon, four targets, four receptions, 27 yards, and nothing else, 94.8 passer rating. Rizul Douglas, four targets, four receptions, 43 yards, uh, and a pick, 71.9 passer rating. Adrian Amos, four targets, two receptions, 13 yards, but he gave up a touchdown and had a pass breakup, so all that stuff. Quay Walker, three targets, one reception, 18 yards, and a pass breakup. Jair, three targets, zero receptions, 39.6 passer rating. I guess you can't be too mad about that. Devondre Campbell, two targets, one reception, 10 yards, 64.6 passer rating. Uh, Also had Kingsley with a pass breakup despite having zero targets in the game because he's not a corner or anything. Three penalties on defense, Jair, Rudy Ford, and Adrian Amos. Finally, on special teams, uh, the one guy that really stood out was Razul Douglas, 81 overall grade. The only other one that was decent was Tyler Davis, nearly a 70 Three guys with really low grades, Corey Ballantine, Jonathan Garvin, and Dallin Levitt. Dallin never gets good grade. I don't know what what they're grading, but Dallin seems like, even when he makes tackles, he's flying down there and blows somebody up, and they're like, yeah, he sucked. It's like, oh, okay, fair enough. And then finally, finally, uh, looking at the kick return grades, something I don't know if I've ever seen before. Keyshawn Nixon had an 87.8 kick return grade. Very hard to get high grades. Um in, in anything special teams related. Three returns, 95 yards. His longest was 52, 31.7 yards per attempt. Um, on punt return, they gave him a 62.5. Two returns, 36 yards, 18 yards per attempt. I'm sorry, but that's that's a big number for punt return. It's a really big number. So that's about it. Uh, I want to look at one other thing when we come back on the other side of this as far as PFF, just a, a little update. But then I want to move on to some other things that uh, kind of annoyed me a little bit. Anyways, why don't we just take a break? Nobody wants to give on Patreon, so we'll, we'll give it a rest. <laughs> we'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. 
In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So the, 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 as I was going through some of the PFF stuff and was looking at some of the guys that have really improved over the last few weeks, I decided to kind of test my theory, I guess, a little bit in terms of the team turning things around or what have you. And and granted, this is a completely arbitrary line. I'm going since the Dallas game because that's when things, at least with the offense, really started to turn around. Now, if you move the line back a week, back two weeks, forward a week, you're going to get completely different results. And each guy has their own trajectory and everything's different. But just for fun, I picked that Dallas game. So there's prior to, which is week nine and earlier, and then there's Dallas and later, which is week 10 and later. And what I did is I went through every single player and I said, what is their PFF grade and rank? Uh, rank doesn't matter as much, but it's interesting anyways in terms of rank throughout the NFL. So where does you know Rodgers rank among quarterbacks and Watson among wide receivers, whatever, um, prior to week 10 and then week 10 and beyond. And it's actually mostly negative, but here were the results. And you can kind of see it on Twitter, but I, I just I didn't really give specific numbers. In terms of grade, the most improved player over that span is Keyshawn Nixon, and kind of by a mile. The only guy that's close to him is A.J. Dillon. Keyshawn Nixon, in those first nine weeks, had a grade of 51 and ranked 97th. Right now, he has a grade of 75 and ranks 13th among corners. 13th among all corners in the NFL. So that's a 23.7 jump. Point jump, I guess. Do you call them points or grade jump? In his grade. A.J. Dillon jumped 20.7. He had a 68.9, and it jumped up to an 89.6, third highest. 
since that Dallas game. Christian Watson is the next highest. Um, he was at 59.1. He is now at 76-ish, so 16.8 is his overall jump. As far as the rank, by the way, Nixon was 97th. He is uh, since 13th. A.J. Dillon went from 33rd to 3rd. Christian Watson is just a grade because he didn't really rank anywhere because he was, didn't play enough early on, but his grade certainly did jump. Um, then you have John Runyon. It's the other reason I like doing this because it, you know, even for me, narratives get stuck in my head. I always complain about the media. They, they get lazy because they hear these narratives and they stick with it and they don't really update their opinions on things. Well, I can get stuck in that too sometimes, not really just paying attention, not really realizing some stuff. But uh, John Runyon, you know what my thoughts on John Runyon have always been? Great pass blocker, really struggles as a run blocker, kind of, I guess, if you just take them together, mediocre overall, but obviously I'll take a good pass blocker. Runyon had a 59.4 overall grade and was the is ranked, was ranked 51st among guards. He has jumped to 75th and is now ranked 6th among guards. He jumped up 45 spots and 15.6 on his grade. Then you have TJ Slayton, did not have a good grade uh, this week, but still jumped from a 52 to a 67. That's 15 points. He jumped from 94th to 37th. Quay Walker had a jump of uh, 11, and he jumped up 26 spots from a 50.4 to a 61.4, from 71st to 45th. Elton Jenkins um, from 70th to 76th. Now, obviously, you can paint a much more stark contrast with Elton Jenkins if you move the slider around. Clearly, he started his you know getting better streak earlier because early in the season, he was nowhere near a 70. He was actually quite terrible, but that's kind of what I mean. But still, even still, even after he kind of made his jump, the, the arrow still pointed up. So he went from a 70.2 to a 76.4. And in context, that put him from 14th place among uh, yeah guards to fourth place. Savage. A lot of people were upset about this. Not saying Savage is good, but just so we're clear, since week 10, from a 47.6 to a 52.2, he jumped from 83rd to 85th. So that is to say he actually went backwards in rank while kind of slightly moving up a little bit in terms of his grade. And as JJ pointed out, and as I just said, um, he's played two snaps the last two weeks. So really, it's just those last two weeks that he actually played where that would actually factor in. But still, it's better than it was. Razul Douglas went up a little bit from a 67.8 to a 69.5, pretty standard. But his rank went from 40th to 25th. Um... Most of these are pretty... Everybody else is less than one, but Bakhtiari went up 0.8. Yash went up 0.4. Um, and then Adrian Amos went up 0.1. So he's he's the closest to exactly average, from a 56.1 to a 56.2. Then you have the guys that went negative. Preston went down 1.3 um, and went from 65th to 66th, 64 grade to a 63 grade. Josh Myers went down 1.4. Kingsley and Igbari went down 3.3 from a 63.3 to a 60. He ranked 69th and is now 75th. Alan Lazard, and when I say is now, I mean from that period. I don't mean for the year. I'm saying it wrong, but just understand what I mean. Alan Lazard, 68.3 down to a 64.7 from 48th to 65th. That's a big drop as far as his rank among wide receivers. Aaron Rodgers dropped five points from 76.4 to a 71.4. He was ranked 11th. Now he's ranked 19th. Dean Lowry, 61.6, down to a 56, 48th, down to 83rd. Zach Tom, 
68.7 down to a 62.7. He went from 35th ranked tackle to the 56th ranked tackle. Aaron Jones from an 84.4 to a 77.5. He went from 8th to 13th. Tunyon 59.7 down to 52.2 from 26th to 36th. Kenny Clark from a 64.3 down to a 55.5. He dropped from 40th down to 86th among tackles, which is disgusting. Jair Alexander from a 77 down to a 68. He dropped almost nine uh, points. He went from 16th to 30th. Jaron Reed dropped almost 10 from a 61.8 to a 52. He dropped from 47th place down to 99th. Randall Cobb went from 79.9 down to a 64. He dropped 15.8 points. That is a massive plummet. Again, the last one was sub 10. This is 15.8. He dropped 60 spots. He went from 10th among wide receivers to 70th. Then you have the biggest drop-off, which is Devondre Campbell. He had a 76.7 grade, ranking 13th among um, linebackers. He dropped down to a 53.6 and 58th. So the, the the biggest rank drop was Randall Cobb, who dropped 60 spots. Uh, the biggest rank jump was Keyshawn Nixon, who jumped up 84 spots from 97th to 13th. So again, if you have any questions or want some clarification, you can call into the show, or if you're on Patreon, you can ask or whatever, and I'll try to get around to giving some more clarification in terms of what about since this week, or what about, you know, if you want to see Rodgers since his thumb, or whatever kind of stuff. Um Again, everybody has a unique trajectory. Some of these guys are probably even going to not look quite correct. You know, it looks like they're trending up, but they're really not because of one weird game or whatever. But it's a good way to kind of just do a a once-over review of of how things have been going over the last few weeks as compared to earlier in the season when everything was just horrible. All right, I want to do something that doesn't need to be done, but... It would be easy enough to just simply tell you, you know, there are people... There are a lot of podcasts that cover the Packers. And although I don't always agree with what those people have to say, and they don't agree with what I have to say, and sometimes fans agree with me, and sometimes fans agree with the other guys. The point is, though, we all generally, and by, by that, let's just say podcast producers and consumers, right? If, if you're creating Packers content regularly or consuming Packers content regularly, you probably have a pretty good idea generally, what the heck is going on? And it would be easy enough to just say, you know what, we understand things. We might be right or wrong, but at least we understand things. These guys, they don't know what they're talking about. And there are certain people that once in a while, they'll say something and be like, you know what? That actually makes a lot of sense. I kind of like this guy. And then they'll say something else. It's like, no, man, I was wrong. You are an idiot. You are just kind of stupid. And I think it's the confidence that with the, and I'm sure you guys feel that way about me when when I say stuff you disagree with, like, oh, it's the confidence that really just annoys me here because you're so wrong. But Colin Coward made a video about why the Packers must go all in with Aaron Rodgers. And, and again, this has nothing really to do with the Packers should bring him back. Like, if he comes back next year, cool. That's It's whatever. That's not the point. I'm not just simply anti-Rodgers coming back next year. It's it's every word out of this guy's mouth that makes no sense whatsoever. I'm going to run this through, and I'll stop when comments need be made. Let me make sure the volume's up so you can hear it. Here we go. Dolphins against non-playoff teams, five-game winning streak. Play playoff teams, three-game losing streak. And I bring up Miami because Green Bay just beat seven losses in a row, Chicago, and now the rebuilding Rams. 
Now they go to Miami. First of all, right off the bat, and don't think he doesn't know this, he's saying things to try to prove a point, but are we going to pretend that Dallas didn't happen? Why don't we look at from the moment Christian Watson came to this team and look at Dallas? Since that time, what has the team done? Because it's one thing to say, well, yeah, the, the correlation here is when you play winning teams, you uh, lose, and when you play losing teams, you win. But if you look over the last four weeks, five weeks, whatever it's been, that isn't the correlation at all. It's really not. Dallas has won 10 games. They won two games and came out of a bye when they went up against Green Bay and lost, and then they won four in a row after that before the upset loss to the Jaguars. Then they face Tennessee. Tennessee is not a good team. They are on a four-game losing streak since playing Green Bay. We lost to Tennessee. Then we won, uh, or excuse me, then we lost to Philadelphia, but to ignore the fact that it was 33-40 to and then went on to beat Chicago and the Rams fairly convincingly, I just think it's an inaccurate summary to simply say, if you play bad teams, you can squeak out a win. If you play good teams, then you lose. Because again, that isn't the track record of the Packers the last several weeks. It's not the best way to summarize it. It's how he wants to summarize it, because his goal is to dismiss the Packers. And, and what I hate about this so much is, I'm readily able to admit this has been a bad season, this is not a great team, they're probably not going to make the playoffs. Even if they did, they wouldn't go very far. But why are you saying stupid stuff? I think Miami's going to beat at home, extra rest. Remember, they played Saturday. Packers played Monday night. Smart offensive coach, lots of weapons. Everybody's bailing on the Dolphins. You guys are bums. I'm going to take Miami to end the playoff hopes and the season, essentially, for Green Bay on Christmas. So, Miami just so we're clear, is on a three-game losing streak. Just so we're clear on that. I don't, I, I don't mind. I, I haven't even decided who I think is going to win. I haven't really looked at it close enough to, to form a conclusion. But neither has he. I promise you that. And I, I'll tell you right now, the amount of disrespect the Packers are getting is just really starting to annoy me. Um. Because again, there, there, there are very reasonable takes that don't result in believing the Packers are a dominant team. I don't think very many Packer fans do believe that, myself included. But to look at a team that lost three in a row, and their last win came against the Houston Texans, the worst team in football. Prior to that was the Cleveland Browns. That's a bad team. Prior to that was Chicago. That's a bad team. Prior to that was Detroit, which, you know, prior to their big run, obviously, because Detroit lost, but it was also 31-27. to Prior to that was Pittsburgh, who is a trash team. Prior to that, they lost to Minnesota, lost to the Jets, lost to the Bengals. So what have they done since week four that would make you believe that they're a really good football team while you sit here and trash the Packers because apparently they don't beat good teams aside from Dallas, which we want to just completely ignore, or the fact that, again, they played the Eagles really close and not only just beat the Rams, but covered the spread pretty comfortably. Even if they win that game, it's Minnesota and Detroit at home. Those are good teams now. Those are play. Eh. Eh. Minnesota? Minnesota's a good team? According to who? According to who? Vegas? I don't think so. Vegas picked Detroit over the Vikings, and they were right. And then they gave them a three-and-a-half-point spread, and the Vikings couldn't even cover it. I mean, you know, again, Vikings are better than the Packers. All right, yeah, maybe. 
Are they a really good playoff team? No, they have a really good record. They're not a good football team. Playoff teams. Detroit feels like a playoff team. Green Bay season's over. Beating the Bears, beating the Rams doesn't mean squat. In this league, it's who do you beat? Cincinnati's beaten real teams. Miami hasn't. Miami hasn't beaten anybody. Then who did the Vikings beat? The Vikings beat the Colts, and barely it took until overtime to beat them by three points, and you just called them a playoff team. Did you not? Well, the Vikings beat the Bills, and the Packers beat Dallas. They barely beat the Colts, who are on like a five-game losing streak. They lost to the Lions. They uh, barely beat the Jets, the 7-7 seven and seven Jets. They barely beat the 7-7 seven and seven Patriots. They lost 40-3 to three to the Cowboys. And yes, they did beat the Buffalo Bills in overtime, 33-30. to 30. Are we allowed to look at just that one game? Because then, you know, again, I got Dallas I can keep pulling out of my back pocket, or does that not count because it's just one? Because if that's the case, then I, I can disregard this. Just like I could probably throw out the fact that they beat the Washington Commanders, who suck by three, or the fact that they beat the Arizona Cardinals by uh, eight points, and the Arizona Cardinals suck. They beat the eight and six Miami Dolphins. They beat, uh, they, they beat within one score the Chicago Bears, the Saints, the Lions, the, the, the Packers. The only teams that they've played that are any good are Dallas, the Eagles, and the Bills. They're one and two in those games, and it was a, a last-second field goal against Buffalo that got them their one win. So what, what is the criteria? Explain the criteria that makes Vikings a really good team because they beat good teams, but not the Packers. And the Bengals? What, where did the Bengals come from? Who, who started talking about the Bengals? I thought you were talking about the Vikings and the Lions. Did you have to bail on them because they're, they, that, they don't actually fit your criteria? And so you got to go out and find the Cincinnati Bengals to prove your point? And you're right. You know why you're right? Because the Bengals beat the Chiefs. That's about the only team that's any good that they beat. In fact, that is the only team that they beat that's any good. They lost to Dallas. They lost to the Ravens. Uh, they also lost to the Browns and the Steelers somehow. But you know what? The Kansas City Chiefs lost to the Bengals. They beat the Texans in overtime. They beat the Broncos barely, uh, one score. They beat the Rams. Well, that obviously doesn't mean anything. They beat the Chargers, who suck, by three points. Uh, They beat the Jaguars, who suck. They took the Tennessee Titans to overtime. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Colin, are you saying the Chiefs suck? Colin, I'm I'm blown away by this. This is is shocking news since their bye week. They have uh, only lost one game. And it's to the only good team that they played that entire stretch. That's amazing. They played the 49ers and beat them in week seven, but that was when they were on a, let's see, they had lost one, two, three. uh, They won three out of four, five, six, seven games. They didn't really go on their winning streak until after their bye, they've won six in a row. So they beat the 49ers back before the 49ers were any good. Prior to that, they lost to the Buffalo Bills. Then they beat the Raiders, who suck. They beat Tampa, who sucks. They lost to the Colts. That's a joke. They beat the Chargers who suck and the Cardinals. That's like, wow, Colin, I didn't realize the Chiefs are frauds. Thanks for bringing that to my attention. They haven't beat a single good team all year. Packers have, Chiefs haven't. That's amazing. That's astounding. Thank you for that insight, Colin. And again, notice how you had to pivot to the Bengals because they beat that one good team that one time, the Chiefs. That's it. And this is the whole basis for saying the Packers suck, despite the fact that they beat that one good team that one time. But they don't get the benefit of the doubt. Okay, so this is, this is your, your attempt at trying to think things through. Okay, that's why we think highly of Cincinnati. Kansas City, 
That's why we think, oh my good lord. Buffalo's beaten real teams. San- Kansas City and Buffalo have beaten real teams. I just went over it. No, they didn't. Who's the real team they beat? The Texans, the Broncos, the Rams, the Chargers, the Jaguars, and the Titans. That's who they've beaten since their bye week. The 49ers, before they were doing any good. They lost to Buffalo, beat the Raiders, the Bucks, the Chargers, the Cardinals, lost to the Colts. They have not beaten one good team. Not one. Buffalo, since their bye week, they beat the Packers, lost to the Jets, lost to the Vikings, then beat the Browns, the Lions, the Patriots, the Jets, and the Dolphins. Who's the best team in that stretch? The Dolphins? Which of those teams is a playoff team? The only playoff team that they played in that entire stretch is the Vikings, and as we've covered, they lost. But, you know, fair enough, prior to their bye, they did beat the Chiefs, although apparently they're frauds, and they beat Baltimore by three. They beat the Chiefs by four, they beat Baltimore by three. So that makes them legitimate. Okay, cool, so they're legit, and pretty much nobody else. Crazy. San Francisco. So San Francisco. What has San Francisco done? This is news to me as well. Although, again, they've been on a pretty big... Uh, streak here they probably have beaten a good team san francisco nobody's played san francisco that i can find where the heck is san francisco are you gonna make me pause my show here san francisco in their uh win streak rams chargers cardinals saints dolphins buccaneers seahawks who's the best team they played none of those are playoff teams i mean some potentially some of them could sneak in but these are not playoff teams prior to that they played the chiefs and lost They played the Falcons and lost. They beat the Panthers. They beat the Rams. They suck. They lost to the Broncos. They beat the Seahawks, who suck. And then they lost to the Bears. Again, I'm not saying they're bad football teams. I'm just trying to figure out, based on his standard, how he can say that these are good teams and we know it because they've beaten really good teams. No, they have not. No, they have not. Who is the best team the 49ers have beaten? Best records I could find are 8-6, and which would be the Chargers and the Dolphins, I think. I think that's it. Eight and six. That's a really good team that proves that you're, uh, but, but, but again, we can't count the pack. This guy's an idiot. Two days extra prep. Miami's going to beat Green Bay. Okay. The question now is let's look ahead for the Packers. Yeah. We got to do that. Let's be grownups here. Yeah. Take off the cheese hat for 15 right. minutes. What's next for the Packers? Right, I'm just being biased. He's using, he's using data. His data is wrong, but, he, but he's using data. I'm, I'm being biased by fact-checking and realizing everything you're saying is, is, is stupid. I've, I've got a cheese hat on because I think it's ridiculous to count them out, not even of the playoffs, but against Miami, who's a team on a, what did I say, three-game, four-game losing streak? Ridiculous to even even entertain the idea that their, their playoff hopes won't be dashed after this weekend. Okay, yes, you're right, you're right. I'm just a biased idiot. Let's move forward. Colin, please fix this disaster of a team for me. Here's the good news. Aaron Rodgers seemed totally engaged last night. Totally into it. They've got two ascending promises. What does that mean? I, I, again, th- th- this is... <sighs> I shouldn't dedicate this much time because I, I know there's no actual substance here and this is just stupidity. What, what does that mean he looked engaged? What does that mean? Like he looked happy? He did look happy. How is that good news for 2023? He was happy last night. He was in a good mood last night. He was hanging out with the boys. He's high-fiving. I mean, yeah, he was a little crabby, this, that, or the other, but, you know, he's, 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 he's just, he feels, you just feel there's a good relationship, a good vibe between he and Watson and Dobbs and, and the boys and whatnot. 
What does that have to do with anything? He was engaged last night, or Monday in this case. What does that mean? Doesn't mean anything. That's what it means. Missing young star receivers, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, yep. like them both. Cool, thank the you. The head coach is capable. I don't think he's elite, but he's capable. It's not. A- I'll take it. I, I, I would hate to dig to find the substance, but I, again, there's a case to be made, but whatever case he would try to make, I'm positive it would be stupid. The mess, and it's a stable organization. Now, I won't even call it bad news. Okay. Let's just talk truth. Oh, okay. They're yeah. up against the cap. Yep. The defense have been for I don't know how many years, but sure. Will be the fourth most expensive in the league. Aaron Rodgers is super expensive. The defense is underachieving. Yep. Free agents don't choose Green Bay. So if they have they have been every single year, but okay. Had space and they have very little. OBJ said no thanks, chose LA over Green Bay despite Aaron Rodgers. Yes, and Green Bay was, what, second place? The, the narrative that nobody wants to come here is stupid. There, I mean, it's, it's, there's no question it's a factor. But players will go where they're going to get paid. That's the reality. That's number one. Uh, find me a team that can't get free agents. How many times, how many freaking times have we seen... Do, do, do you know who spends the most in free agency? Teams with a lot of cap, which is weird because teams with a lot of cap, they have money, but they're usually not good football teams, which would imply that most free agents go to where the money is despite how good or bad the team is. Because you, what you would expect is the teams that get all the free agents maybe don't necessarily have money, but they don't need it because they're an attractive destination. That's not the way it works. Now, sometimes, yeah, especially if you're, Already up there, you've already got a ton of money, you're OBJ, you don't really care, you wait until, uh, you know, week 10 to 10, 11, 12, 15, 17, 18, or wait until the playoffs before you finally decide where you want to go, and you pick somewhere warm because you always wanted to go to LA. Okay, fine, that's a one in a thousand situation that almost never happens. It doesn't. And and the, <laughs> it's, just, it's just, it's such a tired narrative. When Rodgers leaves, we'll never get another free agent. That's fake. That's entirely fake. I, I, I don't understand. Well, there's nothing to do in Green Bay. So what? There's a job in Green Bay. There's money in Green Bay. People went to Buffalo. People still go to Buffalo. Well, they're a good football team. Well, they haven't always been. Have they never had free agents before this? Come on now. This is absurd. J.J. Watt from Wisconsin admitted after choosing Arizona, lifestyle matters. Increasingly in big... Why didn't he choose L.A.? Why didn't he choose a, a, a freaking Arizona? Arizona is a hot... <laughs> it's, it's a hot uh, Lambeau field. It's a hot Green Bay, Wisconsin. There's nothing to do in Arizona. What are you going to do in Arizona? I've been there. It's sand and scorpions and, and nonsense. There's nothing there. And by the way, can we stop pretending that Milwaukee isn't just a short drive down the street and about an hour from there is Chicago? Like, come on, man. I mean, Zadarius Smith and the guys, they drove down to Chicago for a day and drove back. That's when they got busted by the cops. But, I mean, you're not in Siberia. You also have a ton of money. And you can do whatever you want. 
And it's a job. And when your job is done, there's a thing called the off-season. And in the off-season, you can do whatever you want, wherever you want. Stupid. Flashy cities like Los Angeles are very attractive to great players. J.J. Watt admits this. Life J.J. Watt didn't go to one of those places, dum-dum. Style as entertainment and sports converge, having no owner, being in small Green Bay is not an asset. It is a liability going forward. Aaron, by the way, more reality. This is not bad news. It's reality. Aaron is no longer the most talented quarterback in the league, which he was for about eight to ten years. Mahomes, Josh Allen, Herbert, athletically just better. Burrow is just better. Uh, the division is much tougher. Again, the Keep in mind that he just said that, by the way, about Rodgers not really being a top guy anymore. Defense is incredibly average and wildly expensive. So what does Green Bay do? My solution is one that's going to make Green Bay very uncomfortable. I know Aaron keeps talking about retirement, but he looks engaged to me and with two ascending stars. At he looks engaged to me. What, because he smiled at his wide receiver on Monday, you dork? Wide receiver, the Packers need to go 100% all in on Aaron. First pick, 15th, 16th, 17th in the first round, go get a wide receiver, Jordan Addison, USC, to go along with Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs. Second pick, go get a tight end. There's about four great ones in college. Utah's got one. Kincaid, go get him. Third pick, more offensive line or another receiver. Trade some of the defensive parts. Go more into offense. I'm not sure how easy it would be to trade Jair Alexander. You gave him an extension. He could be a difficult guy, dead cap money, blah, blah, blah. You got to go all in. The league is pivoted. <sighs> this is, this is first, uh, there's so much stupid with this. First of all, they did go all in with Rodgers. Did you not see the big contract he got? That was all in on Aaron Rodgers. That was 100% all in on Aaron Rodgers. That was a massive, here you go, take control of everything that we do here contract handed to Aaron Rodgers. And then we went out and got three wide receivers who Rodgers seems to like a lot that you mentioned are very good. Okay, that's number one. They already did that. Beyond that, this idea that going all in means you don't need defense. Explain this to me from the standpoint of actually winning championships. Show me the last team that had a number one offense and a 30th ranked defense that won a Super Bowl. I'll give you a hint. It's never happened in NFL history. What kind of an idiotic idea is this that you should not only not address defense and try to fix it, but should actually give away Jair Alexander and then build up your offense in hopes of getting what? Back to 2020, but with a worse defense? Because we had the number one offense in football with a better version of Aaron Rodgers. That's according to you, Colin Coward. And 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 then what? Then what? We're, we're, we're 2020, maybe, but we're probably not going to be the number one team in football because, again, as you said, Colin, the number one, the, the, the quarterback is not exactly the same anymore. And by anymore, you obviously just mean this year because I'm assuming you re remember he won MVP the last two years prior to this. But, yes, as of this year, he's not. So 
we go out and get a bunch of offensive pieces and hope to be a fraction of as good as we were in 2020, but with a significantly worse defense, because not only are we not doing anything to fix some of the issues that we have, we're actually giving away guys like Jair Alexander, who is a pivotal piece back in 20, uh, 2020 for the Green Bay Packers. Is that, uh, is that about right? What, what is it? What, and how is that all in? You need to go all in. What does that mean? Why do people keep saying that stupid crap? What does all in mean? Does it mean try to win? Tell me the team that isn't trying to win. Well, you're trying to build for the future. Every draft pick is for the future, whether you want to acknowledge that or not. Nobody is drafted because they think they're going to be a really good rookie and then just completely fall off. There's nobody on planet Earth that fits that mold. Every rookie is about the future, whether you like it or not. Free agency is about today. Draft is about the future. That's it. It's always about the future. And there should never be an expectation that a rookie is going to come in and just dominate. That doesn't happen very often, if at all. You got Justin Jefferson and a handful of guys that come in day one. You know, the the guys like Watt and, and Bosa, they get off the boat just killing it. Once every two years in the draft, maybe one guy a year. Maybe. But, but, but what does that mean? You need to go all in on Aaron Rodgers and you need to go all in. The league is pivoted to what? You're telling me the Rams last year were an offensive team? They were a defensive team. Tampa Bay, the 49ers, even the Chiefs. The Chiefs, when they won the Super Bowl, their defense got them there. They're one of the better defense. If, if their defense didn't really tighten up down the stretch, they never would have been able to do what they did. You cannot get there without a good defense, period. That's why the Vikings aren't going anywhere with the way their defense is playing right now. This is so stupid. This doesn't make any sense. This is like a child. This is the most casual fan on planet Earth that's just playing Madden. Let's trade Jair and go get offensive. Let's get a wide receiver and then another wide receiver and then a tight end and then an offensive lineman and then a running back. And let's score 100 points and just try to win 100 to, 100 to 85. This is, this, is, this is stupid. Aaron appears to be engaged. He's going to talk about retirement. Again, that doesn't mean anything. But the Packers have tried so hard, have been exhaustingly focused on stability and the future. They're now trapped in the present. What does that even mean? What does that mean? They've been so focused on the future. What does that mean? You just mentioned they're in salary cap hell. Why? They're focused on stability and the future. Really? Then why is the salary cap all messed up, genius? You know why? It's because they followed your strategy of going all in on Aaron Rodgers the last several years. This, what we're watching right now, is the result of going all in on Aaron Rodgers. The plan failed, and you got the freaking audacity to sit there and say the Packers failed because they didn't go all in on Aaron Rodgers? Are you freaking that dense? That's where we are right now. That's why we have no money. Look at the contracts. Look at all the contracts. Brought back Devondre Campbell. Why? Because you can't let him go. Razul Douglas, you can't let him go. We can't go backwards. We can't rebuild. We can't focus on stability. We can't focus on the future. We can't focus on Jordan Love. We got to go now, right now. We got to go get Randall Cobb because Rodgers wants it. We got to go get it right now. We got to give Rodgers... This, this giant contract that essentially gives him complete control. We have no ability to move on if we don't want to, if he doesn't want to. We can try to trade him again, but he can say no. 
and that completely shoots that to the ground, best thing we could do is scare them away by telling them we're moving on. What, 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 what have they done that has demonstrated their desire to focus on the future as opposed to the present? And if, if your mind immediately went to Jordan Love, you have got to get over that. Good Lord. That's it? Jordan Love? How many years ago was that? Four freaking years ago? Good Lord. He was the best guy on the board. They liked him, and Rodgers was playing like crap, so they drafted a quarterback. Get over it. What a shame they focused on the future when they drafted Elton Jenkins. It's really hamstrung us, hasn't it? Sucks they're focused on the future drafting guys like Rashawn Gary. Gee, that sucks. They had 11 draft picks, which is a good thing because we have no money. You know why? Because we've been so focused on winning now with Aaron Rodgers. That has been the strategy of the Green Bay Packers for the last three years, officially. Started with that big free agent class in 2019 with Zadarius, with Preston, Billy Turner, Adrian Amos. And we continued that free agent after free agent after free agent. And every time people left, we said, nope, we paid Aaron Jones to stay after drafting A.J. Dillon. Nobody does that. Why would you do that? That has nothing to do with stability. That has nothing to do with the future. That is entirely about winning now. That is all they have done. And if Brian Gutekunst has done anything wrong, it's that he has been way too focused on winning now with Aaron Rodgers and neglecting the future. This is stupidity. This is abject idiocy. You can't fire Matt LaFleur, and he's not elite. You're trapped with him. Aaron's... What are you talking about? Yes, we can fire him if we want to. Well, they're just giving him an extension. I'm so sick of hearing that. It doesn't mean anything. You can 100% fire a coach after you give him a new contract. It happens all the time. It doesn't mean anything. You think if you get an extension, you can't fire the guy? Of course you can. It doesn't mean a single thing. Matt LaFleur is the coach because we want him to be the head coach. You're an idiot. Contract. Feels like you're kind of trapped with him. Jair Alexander, your best defensive player. Very expensive. Kind of trapped with him. Not What? We're trapped with our best defensive player? What, what, what kind of a stupid way is that to phrase things? We're trapped with him. We're not trapped. We gave him a contract because he's really good at football. I mean, it's one thing to say he's having a bad year, therefore I think he's just a garbage player and you should get rid of him. I think that's ridiculous reasoning. But he's not even saying that. He's like, oh, no, no, he's really good. He's your best defensive player, which isn't true. Rashawn would be our best defensive player, but whatever, fine. Jair is our best defensive player. But you still want to get rid of him. You think he's our best defensive player and we should get rid of him because you're worried about the contracts. Sounds like you're more concerned about the future than Brian Gutekunst is. Because he's the one that gave him the big contract to keep him in town. Which, of course, you would do because this is not what actual teams do. Trade away guys like Jair Alexander. This is what the most basic fans think. And, and apparently Colin Coward in addition to that. Having a great year, still a very good player. A lot of trap. Your defense. You have no cap space. You're kind of trapped. <laughs> you know. Why do we have no cap space, Colin? Genius. So all of a sudden you start looking, your whole thing was, we don't want to be loose, we want to be solid, we want to have stability, but you're kind of trapped with a lot of stuff. So the solution is... Not trapped. We gave contracts to guys that we like. We paid David Bakhtiari and Kenny Clark and Jair Alexander. 
And you know what? We have a lot more money. Everybody said we were doomed prior to this year. We have no money. Everybody's getting cut. And guess what? Nobody freaking got cut. Devontae did walk away, but we, we ended up signing a bunch of guys back and everything's fine. All the doom and gloom went to nothing. Next year, we're nowhere near in that bad of shape. We're at like a negative $100 million in cap space and we got it all cleaned up. We're fine. We're fine. And we're going to do a couple things, tweak this, that, or the other, maybe release this guy, cut that. There's, there's no doomsday scenario here. We paid the guys we want and we have enough money. Do we have enough money to go in and, and tear it up in free agency? No, we don't. Because we spent all our money in free agency and then we wasted a bunch of money restructuring all these contracts and pushing it back so that now we're paying inflated contracts. So that's all stupid because we're focused on now and neglecting the future. We are hurting the future by focusing so much on the now, which didn't work and it was a failure. We should not have gone all in on Aaron Rodgers despite the fact that everyone's pleading for it. And that's fine. If you wanted to do that, that's fine. But don't sit here now and say the failure is because we haven't committed to Aaron Rodgers and we haven't committed to the now. We've been so focused on the future. That's stupid. Is get uncomfortable. Give Aaron what he wants for the next two years. Because I got news for you. You're not going far to Aaron Rodgers to a Trevor Lawrence. Go ask the Bears. Go ask Denver. Go ask Miami. Can I ask the Jaguars? Am I allowed to ask them? Because you just said Trevor Lawrence, did you not? And again, this, I, I mentioned this yesterday, I think it was. What what the heck does this mean? He, I, I swear, he just goes on these rambling sessions and doesn't even think through what he's saying. You're not going to get another really good quarterback. Why? Because other teams don't have good quarterbacks. Okay. Is nobody ever going to get a good quarterback ever again? Because that's what you're saying right now. Th th there's only one of two things that make sense here. And I, I, I hate to put too much brain power into this stupidity. But let's be very clear. There's only two things that he could be saying. Number one, the Green Bay Packers are uniquely awful at finding quarterbacks. The team that you just said went from Favre to Rodgers. Number two, nobody will ever find a good quarterback ever again. That's it. Those are the only two things. And the fact that you're pointing out other teams leads me to believe that you're saying nobody will ever find another good quarterback ever again. I know that you're not going to go from Favre to Rodgers to Trevor Lawrence because look at Justin Fields, which doesn't make any sense because Fields and Lawrence are in the same draft class. You absolute inept. Can't say the words I want to say. Doesn't work that way. Andrew Luck worked replacing Peyton Manning for a few years. But because they put nothing around him, he got knocked out of the league. So now you're saying different things. What does that have to do with finding a new quarterback? What does that have to do with it? And, and, and he had T.Y. Hilton. What, what are you talking about? He got knocked out of the league. Why? He got injured? Because they didn't go all in? What does that mean? Because he didn't get a big enough contract? Because he didn't get four wide receivers and trade away all the defensive pieces? This is stupid, Colin. What are you talking about? And what does that have to do with not finding a third quarterback? It's going to be a dark winter. You're going to have 10 of them. So you got about two years left with Aaron Rodgers. You found him two ascending young, very, very promising wide receivers. Go get him two more. Go give up some. For what? For what? What are they going to do? Are they going to sit on the bench or are they going to put Watson and Dobbs on the bench? Or are we just going to go four wide all the time? I, I, I guess we probably will. We'll just go four wide every single time. Is that what you're proposing, or what, what, what are you even talking about? What are we going to do with four wide receivers? 
The Green Bay Packers right now have a very clear delineation. There are two receivers that get the majority of the reps. After that, you have a slot guy. So let's just say Lazard will get 35 routes. Christian will get 33. Uh, Randall will get 28. Then you get your number three receiver who's down to about 20. And then you get your number four receiver who maybe gets two routes in a game. What are we going to do with four? Have you thought this through, or are you just like saying stupid stuff? This is like fantasy football. The guy that wants to trade you seven seven of his crap players for one, you're like, well, if you add it up, it's, it makes you better. They're all going to sit on my bench, dummy. Why do I want seven guys on my bench so that I can give you give away one of my best players? You can't just add them together to make a great player. You can't say you got four great players, therefore you're going to be great. They're not all four going to be playing. Only two of them most of the time are going to be playing. At most three Maybe 50% of the time. Maybe. So why would you do that? Defense, get in more veteran receivers. Just be an offensive franchise. Stop worrying about stability and protecting the future. Screw the future. Win now. Now. Now was two years ago and we didn't win. What are you talking about? And, wh- and, and why screw the future just for the sake of screwing the future? I mean, I still don't understand the trade Jair thing. For what? What is that going to do for us? I understand you want us to, to absolutely burn the future, but what does that even do for us in the present? How are we going to win now by trading away, in your own words, the best defensive player we have on this team? You don't make any sense. How does that help us win now? How does that mean go all in? Well, because you need to be an offensive team. We have been for 30 years. We've been an offensive team for 30 years. We were an offensive, we're, we're, we're an offensive team today, We were an offensive team last year. We were an offensive team the year before that. We have been an offensive team my entire life. The only times that I think we haven't been an offensive team have been, oh, I don't know, maybe roughly 2010 and 1996, the two years we won the Super Bowl. But, I mean, that's just a separate conversation. We don't need to worry about that. Yeah, you're right. We should should be a top three offense with a bottom three defense, and that will do what? That will do what? Is, it, is this just a message we're sending to the universe that we care so much about the present and we care this much about Aaron Rodgers? We don't actually care about winning anything. We just want to go, quote-unquote, all-in for the sake of going, quote-unquote, all-in, even though that doesn't mean anything. Is that right? Is that what we're doing? This doesn't make any sense, Colin. You don't make any sense. I hate this so much. It, it, it's so stupid. What are you talking about? Nothing, not a single word that came out of this guy's mouth made any sense. Not a single word. This is insane. We should trade Jair Alexander and get four, have four really good receivers, which you can't guarantee. And I'm guessing, are we talking free agents or are we talking uh, rookies? I know you said to draft one, but then you said get veterans. Are we just doing both? They're not supposed to be any really good veteran wide receivers in, in free agency next year, but I guess this is what casual fans and Colin Coward do all the time. They just pretend that they exist. Why don't you just go out and do something? You haven't done anything. Do what? There's nobody out there. This is the same thing that happened last year. Well, I can't believe he didn't go get a, a free agent wide receiver. He did. He got Sammy Watkins. Well, that doesn't count. Go get a good one. Like who? Well, go get one. Who? Who? I'm still, to this day, what are we, week 16? I still haven't heard the name. Who? Julio? <laughs> who is the who is the free agent wide receiver? Give me his name. Tell me the guy that's been transforming franchises. Tell me the big name free agent that tore it up this year. 
Still waiting. You can't just manifest things out of thin air. You should go do something. Do what? Anyways, I wanted to play the rest of this, and I had some other clips. I'll, I'll save them for tomorrow, I guess, because it's just... Uh, it's ridiculous. It's, 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 it's just... And, and this, is, this is the problem, because this is why the Packers are disliked. And I have a hard time understanding, like, what is the problem with, with the, the, the perception that people have about Green Bay and the frustrations they have with the team, and sometimes it doesn't make sense. It's because what's going on between this guy's ears is actually common belief among NFL media. This is the way they think. This, is, this isn't even thought out. The guy sat here, said nonsense, contradicted himself, and came up with a plan that is give away your defensive pieces, recoup some money, invest in the offense, and hope to be almost as good as you were in 2020 when it didn't work. And then burn your future with fire. Just for the sake of it. Not because it necessarily makes you better now, but just because it demonstrates to the world and to us in the media that you really do care. Because you know what? Every time you actually do that, and this is why you should never be complicit and listen to anybody. Don't ever listen. Because when you do it, nobody cares. Brian Gutekunst comes in, he spends all the money on big name free agents, goes all in, and we win a bunch of games. And we go get the, the, the new young ascending coach, and we go get the big name free agents, and we win a bunch of games, and MVP Aaron Rodgers, largely because of Matt LaFleur, and we spend all the money, and we push out all the money, and we destroy the salary cap, and we do all this stuff, and guess what? Nobody's happy. Nobody's happy. Nobody gives them any credit. Oh, they only care about the future. Are you freaking serious? Well, they don't draft wide receivers, so we draft three, and two of them are highly successful wide receivers already. Still doesn't count. Still not good enough. You still, you still haven't done enough. You should get four. There, there, there's nothing. The bottom line is you didn't win. And rather than saying, well, you know, you didn't win and you did what I say, so maybe I was wrong. No, it's you didn't win, so you must not have done what I said. So you have to do it even more. Stop worrying about the future. They haven't been. They've been kind of hurting our future. For the present. Well, clearly not, because if you had listened to me, you would have won the Super Bowl, obviously. This is just so dumb. It's vapid. Anyways, I don't want to stop talking because it just makes me feel good, but I am going to stop. We'll leave it at that. Um, you guys have a good day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. <laughs>